All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Wayfinder. It's Adam. I'm in the studio alone today. Got a special one for you. They're all special, but this one's really special. We just celebrated uh, what used to be Columbus Day here in the U.S., and now it's Indigenous Peoples Day, which is pretty dope. If you're like me and you prefer the new holiday, it's a good thing. You guys, I uh, hope you'll forgive me for my voice. Got a frog in my throat, I think. So things are a little bit croaky. But I'm feeling good. Feeling good. It's been a couple of weeks since I've gotten on the microphone and talked to you guys. So it's always it's a nice homecoming when I get back in the studio. Whether I'm alone or I'm with the homies. Because you guys are my homies. And I know that I'm talking to you all, so it's fun. So today, uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, or as a tribute to Indigenous Peoples Day. I wanted to discuss uh, some, some aspects of the life of Native Americans that are special to me. And really, the discussion today, or the, the monologue, the solo cast here, that I'm dropping for you guys, is really based on... Uh, a lecture by Manly P. Hall. So you guys know I talk about Manly P. Hall a lot on the show and on Instagram and stuff. He's he's my favorite occult philosopher and teacher ever. And he's just an, he was an amazing guy. And he did a lecture on the Native Americans. Uh, it was called like the mystical life of the Native Americans. And I'll try to link it. I'll try to remember to link it in the description. I, like, I always tell you I'm going to do that, and I never do it. It's just one of the, I guess, one of the, the byproducts of trying to get these, get these podcasts out to you guys as quickly and efficiently as I can. So it's like we cut out the video component because it was just such a pain in the ass. And so um, sometimes I forget to do that stuff. But I'll try to remember to do it, but if not, you can look it up on YouTube. It's just like a, it's an audio lecture, but it's on YouTube. And just look up Manly P. Hall, uh, Mystic Life of the Native Americans. And you should be able to find it from there. And so what I want to do is kind of bridge bridge the gap. Some people want to listen to Manly P. Hall, and some people can't quite get there or, or, or aren't really attracted to, to that style of delivery. For me, there's nothing better. I mean, I just I listen to him every chance I get. And I think that if the whole world would just binge Manly P. Hall, like, everything would be okay. <laughs> everything would just be better. The world would be, better, be a better place. Everybody would lead a happier life. Everybody would understand everything and everybody better from themselves to the rest of the world. Like, it's the best thing ever, right? Um, so just go listen to Manly P. Hall, for sure. But this, yeah, the mystic life of the Native Americans is a good one. And uh, so I'm going to kind of just, I'm, I'm going to be summarizing some of that, throwing in some of my own thoughts on that. And um, I think it's going to be a really cool episode for people because you're going to hear some things in our, in our conversation today that you have never heard before about Native Americans, things that a lot of people have never heard before, and things that will be enriching to your life and that you can apply in your own life and things that will then give you little rabbit holes you can go around and chase and stuff like that. So we're going to dig right in. So first of all, why why did I even think that this was relevant? Or like, why would I think this was an interesting thing to do? And here's the thing. And this is kind of like my take on the whole thing about why ancient civilizations matter, why ancient cultures matter, why, why it matters to study other cultures, why it's important to know the different ways that different kinds of people have operated throughout history and even throughout the world today, right? 
It's because human beings are creatures of imitation. We imitate what we see. And we don't do we can't do better if we don't know better, right? And so if you think that um, the current way of doing life, doing civilization, is the best way of doing things, well, go look at some other ways, right? Go look at the way that the ancient Egyptians lived. Go, go look at the way that the Hindus even still live in, in India today. Or um, a lot of the different tribal, tribal cultures, uh, from the Native Americans to the Aborigines to different African cultures, people in Papua New Guinea. Right? There's lots of different ways of doing life. There's lots of different ways of doing community. There's lots of different ways that a human, a human being, which this entity that we are, that we carry around inside of our little beefy spacesuit, lots of different ways that we can navigate the, the experience of being human. And I don't think that we think about this a lot in America. We are the least cultured people in the freaking world. We just are, and that's fine. But like you go to Europe and you have all these cultures that are that are pretty well like insulated from each other in the sense that like, you know, like Swedish culture is Swedish, German culture is German and British culture is British, but they're always going in between each other, right? Like you can go to Paris and Nice and all these different French cities and then you can go just a few hours away to like Milan or Venice, you know, or Rome. And, and you get to you know, experience all of these vastly different cultures and you get to really see the spectrum, the, the landscape of, of all these different ways of doing life. Now, granted, those are all like Western, you know, modern cultures. But you, you get a, a sense of these different cultures, the, the cultural landscape, all the possibility, all the opportunity, all the different ways of thinking, different ways of speaking different ways of living, different ways of being. So when we're looking at the lives of the Native Americans, and we're doing it through the lens of Manly P. Hall in this lecture, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to me. And it's, it's a thing that, hit, that hits close to my heart because I grew up, uh, we, we, we were down here in Texas, and so we have some Native American uh, heritage here. And I was always fascinated by it. And we spent a lot of time on Native American reservations. So like JC, you guys know JC here on the podcast. He's not, he's not in today. But we grew up together, and we went to church together, and we were spending a lot of time on Native American reservations up in Oklahoma, working with the natives for weeks on end and doing that a couple, two, three times a year and doing that for many years. Spent a lot of time there. And since that time, as an adult, I travel around the country, and we take long road trips, two- and three-week road trips with my kids, and we spend time on the reservations, and we spend time at the uh, the holy sites of the native people. And uh, we we like to find the the native people that we can talk to, right? Beyond the tour guides and the park rangers and all the goofy people that had their own sort of stories about things that, um, you know, that showed up from Western civilization with their own their own history, their own stories. It's nice to talk to the people who grew up within that heritage, within that system, right? And talked to the native people about their, their beliefs and their histories and their, their take on things. And it's a cool thing. It's a really cool thing. And so I've spent a lot of my time as an adult, um, well, my whole life, but as an adult specifically, really hunting down Native American myths and folklore 
legends and fairy tales of all kinds. And uh, we've climbed mountains and stuff with the kids to go see petroglyphs, you know, all over the southwest and all the way as far north up as like northern Utah, Vernal, Utah, Wyoming. And uh, it's a beautiful thing to understand all of these different amazing cultures. And so I think sometimes we forget, I, we, we definitely forget, that Native Americans, like, they weren't, they didn't call themselves Native Americans, and they weren't one great big civilization. These were lots and lots and lots of tribes of lots of very different people, right? They had, they had different beliefs. They had different religions. They had different languages. A lot of them couldn't even understand each other, right? A lot of them were very, very different people, right? They were as different from each other as, uh, you know, a Roman was from an Egyptian, right? And so we tend to just lump them all together in our ignorance because that's just sort of how history class fails us, right? We don't really think about how different they were. But I think it would be really cool to look at these different cultures through the lens of Manly P. Hall and look at some of the virtues and look at some of the great things that they had going for them and just imagine what we might be able to do in our own lives if we were to adopt some of these perspectives and outlooks attitudes and practices in our own lives and you know maybe even on some level the lives of our uh, at the community level and, and beyond so we uh we i think a lot of times we like to think that we've got it all figured out right like we are the pinnacle of human advancement here in this modern western society but like for me i feel like we've got a lot of suicide we've got a lot of heart disease <laughs> we've got a lot of stress we got a lot of problems, man. And the, the, the bottom line is, regardless of what you think about Native American people and tribal living and tribal systems of culture and all that, suicide is fucking unheard of within tribal systems. It's unheard of. You do not hear about it. And, and that fact alone, to me, should be like the primary focus of like the American Psychological Society or whoever's in charge of like training American psychologists. The number one thing that should be like dug into and investigated is how come there is like zero suicide in virtually every tribal um, like society or culture around the world throughout history. They don't, they don't commit suicide. A human does not ever reach a point of despair in their life where they decide to just just end it on their own, just to take their own life at their own hands. People don't do that when they live in these tribal situations. Now just think about that for a second. What does that mean? What does that mean? We, we have like tens of thousands, what, hundreds of thousands of, of suicides a year in our, in our society? Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions or whatever. How many millions of people have killed themselves over the last however many years? Over what, right? Teenagers killing themselves because people make fun of them. Zero suicides in tribal cultures. It's just not a thing they even think about. It's a huge thing, right? If, like, if psychology is going to bring us anything, if we're going to think that we are so advanced as a, as a society and we have all this technology and all these medical advancements, Dude, if people are still killing themselves or, 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 or have started killing themselves and that really wasn't ever a thing before, we got a problem, man. We got a big problem. So it's, it's for reasons like that that I think it's worth looking into. Another thing 
that uh, that uh, that MPH pulls up in this uh, brings up in this lecture is um, things like stress, right? So we, I know some people understand this better than others, but I got to drive it home. Stress is the number one killer in the world, certainly in the Western world. Stress is the number one killer in America. And if you don't believe that or you want to argue or you're Googling statistics right now, you're missing the point. Stress produces cortisol. Cortisol is, is one of the most powerful chemicals in all of human biology, right? Cortisol destroys so much, right? So in men, it destroys testosterone. Um, it destroys your immune system. It destroys your all kinds of stuff. You can look into what, what cortisol really does. And if you look at it at a distance, holistically, at the bigger picture of what it does to, to the body and to the psyche, stress is an unbelievable killer. It destroys the heart. It destroys the hormone system, the endocrine system. It destroys happiness and joy. It destroys relationships. It destroys your body. So like for men, I've talked about testosterone lately on the podcast a few times, right? We think about testosterone in men like it's just associated with sperm count, you know, or like body hair. <laughs> like we have the dumbest, most one-dimensional view of the endocrine system. We're like we're so ignorant of the endocrine system as a society, right? Glands and the endocrine system and all that. Um, testosterone is linked to freaking everything in the health of a man. It is everything. It's our mood. It's our, our temperament. It's our, our motivation. It's our energy levels. It's how we sleep. It's how our muscles recover. It's how our bones recover. It's how our skin looks. It's the bags under our eyes. It is, it's, it's, uh, it's our sex life. It's our strength. It's our endurance. It's our heart health. It is everything. It is like the testosterone is the pillar that a man is built on. I don't know as much about estrogen for females. I assume it's a very similar thing, but I, I don't know for sure. Um, but the point is cortisol destroys testosterone. It is it, There's an inverse relationship between testosterone and cortisol. Native Americans, you just didn't have that cortisol. You just don't, you don't have a constant drip of stress because stress um, results in the tension uh, between where you are and where you feel like you should be. That's what stress is, right? So like if you you think of like, you know, I'm always using these sort of hand gestures and modeling things, which is fun to do nowadays that we don't have video anymore with the podcast. But, you know, on one hand over here up in the air, you've got you've got where you are, right? Where you are in life, where you are in your job, where you are with, with your family, where you are with your, your livelihood, you know, your hobbies, uh, where you are with your, your relationship to nature, right? All of that, because we are nature. We come from nature as much as a leaf comes from a tree, period. Believe it or not, fact. So over here you have where we are, where you are. And on the other hand, way over here up in the air, right? Arms out wide, way over here. You got where you know you should be. Where you know you should be, right? So you're like, man... I'm working in a cubicle every day. Like I'm getting up at 530. I'm taking my kids to school. I'm rushing around, getting food ready and all this stuff. And then I'm sitting in traffic for 30 minutes, taking my kid to school. And then I'm sitting in, you know, in the parking lot in traffic for 10 more minutes, getting them through the line. And then I got to drive two minutes away. That takes me 15 minutes in traffic and go sit in another line to get my kid dropped off. 
right now is, you know, it's also uh, October of 2020. So people are still wearing masks everywhere, which is freaking weird. So you got all this weirdness, all this really unnatural, crazy weird stuff going on. And then we go sit in a cubicle all day long underneath some crazy halogen trans whatever lights, whatever those things are called. I don't even know. Weird lights, you know, that are all flickery and they're all weird vibes and they're not normal fluorescent. That's what was the word I was, I don't, what was it? Translucent. I was going to say translucent. So you have all this weird unnatural stuff and we're just doing this really unnatural life. And dude, we are very, very, very far from where we should be. And that's where the stress comes in. That's where cortisol comes in and it destroys our heart and it destroys our happiness and it destroys our hormonal system. It destroys our endocrine balance and all that stuff. It gets into our blood. It infects everything. Now, one of the coolest things, one of the most beautiful things, I think, is, uh, I mean, about the, the, the life of the native, native people. And we're talking about the Native Americans because those are the ones that I, I know a little bit more about and have more of a connection to myself. But, you know, really this goes for probably all, all the different Aboriginal people and Indigenous peoples around the world. But uh, including my own ancestors, you know, like the, the, the Celts and the Druids and the Gales and the Vikings and stuff back in the old days. Um, but, you know, different story. So these, uh, these guys have, they, they have had, had more past tense, I think. They had, a, they had a connection with the natural world and with natural law. And they lived in the flow of nature, just like all the rest of the animals around them, right? just like the bears and the mountain lions and the coyotes, the buffalo. They lived in balance with all that stuff. They moved with the seasons. They got up with the sun. They went down with the sun. They danced and they ate at night. You know, they snuggled in their, in their caves or in their teepees or in their wigwams or in their longhouses or in their cliff dwellings or whatever they had. And then they got up and they would repeat the cycle. But they lived in harmony. With nature. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that there's a strong connection between that harmony with nature and the lack of suicide. In fact, I know it is. There's a huge connection there, right? You can't raise a kid up connected to nature, like really immersed in it and understanding their place in it, and then that kid get upset because someone made fun of him at school and they kill themselves. It just doesn't happen that way. It just doesn't happen that way. Parents, you need to get your kids out in nature. So the Native Americans were connected to nature, and they understood things like the interconnectivity of life, right? The circle of life, the web of life, and they have just countless tales and legends in their folklore about, um, about the interconnection of all people and animals throughout time and space, right? The, the great spider web of life, right? This is a very quantum physics kind of thing, you know. And for a people that modern science and the modern education system and scholars and academia would probably really like to view as like barbaric savages, the more we're advancing in, in uh, like things like quantum entanglement and stuff like that, the more you can really look at um, the, the mythology and the folklore and... Um, the worldview, the spiritual systems of Native Americans, and really see that these guys had stuff figured out. And we talk about it on this podcast all the time, so you guys get it. But ancient people had shit figured out better than anybody else since 
And we're just now starting to sort of turn the corner and get back to these deeper cosmic natural understandings that native native people and other ancient people have been living by for thousands or and or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of years. We're just now returning to this uh, to understanding all the interconnectivity of all these different things. You can go listen to like Greg Braden. He's one of my favorite people. Um, Greg Braden. It's like B-R-A-E-D-E-N. He talks about this a lot. Uh, he also has spent a lot of time with the Native American people uh, and natives all over the world and different ancient wisdom keepers from all over the world. But, you know, he talks a lot about how the ancient wisdom of, uh, of old people is coming back now. And he's also a scientist, so it's a helpful thing. But the Native American people understood interconnection. They understood the balance of people and nature, right? And they understood the balance of things like the light wolf and the dark wolf inside of us. Now, this is this is just the Tao. Like, if you ever read, like, the Tao, if you know what the Tao is, um, like the light wolf and the dark wolf, the yin and the yang, right? In hermeticism, it's the masculine and feminine, right? The higher and the lower self. Right? There's all these different ways of looking at the concept of duality. But virtually all the Native American people understood these concepts of duality, and they were, a lot of them talked about it in the terms of the light wolf and the dark wolf. And so you have a light wolf and a dark wolf inside of you, and they're battling for your soul. And how you determine which one's going to win is by which one you feed, right? And every moment you make a decision to feed the light wolf or the dark wolf, and uh, every thought, word, action, decision results in an outcome that's going to ultimately steer your life down a certain path. And uh, the journey that you take, the path that you take, and the destinations you reach, and the milestones along the way are going to be determined, right, by the... Uh, by the witch wolf you feed moment to moment. It's a beautiful thing. It's very it's very simple and it's very elegant, right? But so is the Tao. So is the Tao. Thousands of years later, after the Tao was created, we're still following the Tao. Thousands of years after Hermeticism was created, we're still following Hermeticism. You know why we're not talking as much about the light wolf and the dark wolf? Is because those whole cultures were eradicated by the tens of millions, right? But this knowledge is no less advanced and no less beautiful and no less elegant and no less uh, relevant than Hermeticism or the Tao or any of these other things, right? So very Buddhist stuff sort of here, very Taoistic stuff. So Native American people understood balance between people with themselves, natural law, the interconnection of all things. Uh, and one of the things I thought was interesting, I wanted to sort of bring this up, maybe this is out of place, but but speaking of balance of the masculine and feminine, was you had medicine priests, you had shaman in the Native American traditions and their different systems, and the Native American, like the, the medicine priests, we call them shaman these days, but just for anybody who doesn't realize this, shaman is not a Native American word, it comes from the Tunguska people of Russia, so I've been um, heckled by idiots who don't like me using that word, um, and then I have to like break it to them that they're kind of full of it because, uh, yeah, shaman's not a Native American word at all. There's no cultural appropriation going on there, dummy. So, yeah, get off your freaking high horse. Um, but uh, the medicine priests, which is like the best way to translate, for the most part, what they called their spiritual leaders, were androgynous people. Fascinating. Fascinating. Right? I dig this because... Androgyny, obviously meaning that they sort of had masculine and feminine energies balanced out to the point where 
they were androgynous. They were not specifically male or specifically female. I mean, presumably they had male or female genitalia because most men and most women have one or the other. They're born that way. I know we live in a day where there's a lot of fluidity there. Um, oh, <laughs> they didn't back then, right? But what I think is interesting is that your energy could be so balanced, particularly as a, uh, uh, you know, a highly initiated mystical leader, like a medicine priest, a shaman, right? The medicine doctor, right? Whatever. Uh, that you were in such control of your energies and such control of your, your psyche and all of that, that you became essentially androgynous, right? So a lot of them were bisexual or transsexual, um, and they wore the, the like the robes of a of a woman, and they carried certain you know implements of a warrior. But you know, it, it, anyway, they were very androgynous, which I think is cool because it makes a lot of sense. Because the more you balance out your energies, the less you're like really concerned about seeming super masculine or super feminine. You know, it's like the more your energies really become balanced out, and the more that your uh, your spirituality becomes core to your life and that spiritual your spiritual energies are balanced within that core the more androgyny um that starts to manifest in your life right so i've i've the more i've sort of balanced my energies out the more i try to i mean the less i try to like project masculinity into every situation i i enjoy expressions of feminine energy very much and uh, I find that people are very attracted to that. Beautiful women are very attracted to that because they don't feel as intimidated. Men are attracted to that because they uh, they don't feel intimidated or, or com com uh, competed with. They don't feel as competitive, right? And I just love it because you can be playful. You don't have to be serious all the time, which is a feminine quality, right? So you can balance those energies out. Our society doesn't really get that as much as a whole in general. Uh, but the Native American people essentially all of their, virtually all of their uh, their medicine priests were androgynous, were energetically balanced people. I think that's cool. Which is also interesting because their entire culture, which is like a super key thing about the, the Native American people, and, and again, most tribal people anywhere, is that their, their whole culture is built around spirituality, right? So like our culture, our societies are... are like spattered here and about with with like some busted ass pieces of spirituality of like the remnants of what used to be a spiritual framework right like our our country was sort of founded on judeo-christian principles but then they've all been sort of eviscerated and pulled out of the of uh you know, of society in various different ways. You can't say God and the Pledge of Allegiance and this and that. You know what I mean? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and argue in favor of the virtues of Judeo-Christianity. You guys know me better than that. And if you don't, just listen to the last couple of podcasts. <laughs> you fit to learn. Uh, nothing against any Christians or, or Judeo-Christian believer people. But, um, but you know, as a, as a system to govern the world, I think we could do better honestly. But the Native American people, their culture was built around spirituality. So your medicine priest was like extremely high, like he was like right next to the chief. So you had like the chief and then beneath that you had oftentimes, usually, <coughs> 
Sorry about that. I just choked on some saliva. But that's what happens when you let the freaking ear, nose, and throat dot go in and cut your tonsils out and then talk you into slicing off your uvula. So now I don't have a uvula and I choke on my spit or my water or whatever all the time. Or pre-workout or mouthwash, which is lame. You go to rinse your mouth out with some scope and it shoots out your nose, man. So <laughs> that's a rude awakening at 5.30 in the morning, guys. Hold on. I'm going to take a sip real quick. Um, there we go. So you had, you had like a, a chief at the top. This is like, again, this is, this is an interesting thing too. We're going to get into is, is that you had this sort of, uh, trinary, uh, spiritual structure or, or, or tribal structure. You had like father, son, and Holy spirit, or the, uh, the father, like the Osiris, and then underneath that you have like the um, the Horus and Hathor, or the Horus and Isis, or whatever. You know, the father, and then and then the son and the daughter, or the father and the son and the wife, or whatever. However you want to look at it, you could, there's religions all over the world that have this same trinary religious system, and you had this in a lot of the Native American systems. Which, what we're about to get into, what I'm going to get into, is uh, the incredible connections and the similarities between all of these Native American tribes and the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Indians from across the sea, right? Ancient Chinese people, all kinds of stuff. Clear connections. Uh, they were like cousins, right? So it's a whole thing. But uh, the the medicine priest was very high up, and so the, the whole the whole civilization was built around spirituality. And nobody wanted to mess with the medicine priest. You couldn't mess with the medicine priest. What he said went, and he was revered. And so, just like any other pyramidal structure, any other hierarchical, any other hierarchical, you know what I mean, hierarchical structure, any other hierarchy, you could probably just say that, it's easier. Like any hierarchy that's like essentially a pyramid, uh, whether it's a company or a family or a tribe or a government like in a country or whatever uh, or even a team of some kind I guess which is kind of a different hierarchy because it's just like a coach and whatever but speed of the leader speed of the team right like the leader sets the speed and the tone and the color and the flavor and the texture of the entire pyramidal structure right the whole hierarchy follows the leader right everybody follows the leader above them right and so if you have at the very top of the pyramid, very top of the tribal system, you have uh, people that are spiritual, that are spiritually balanced to the point that they're freaking androgynous, right? Totally masculine, feminine balanced. They're nurturing, which is a feminine uh, quality, um, but they're also disciplined, which is a masculine quality, right? You, you, that's a trade-off that you have. You have you have to be either nurturing or disciplined in, in, in a given moment, right? You can't be all the way on all the way nurturing and all the way disciplined at the same time, right? So if your kid falls off a bike, you want to be nurturing, but your kid fucks up and does something wrong, you're going to be disciplined. You know, these are masculine and feminine. Um, I've, I've still never come up with a word for what that is, but these sort of categories that we um, of the male and female uh, energy and the male and female aspects. So these, these, these cultures would have been, they were very, very spiritual because from the top down, that's how they rolled. And they lived in balance with nature. It's an incredible thing. So what happened, right? What happened? Now, a lot of people 
lot of people will talk about, I hear sometimes, especially around uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, right? There's a lot of people that are that are celebrating Indigenous Peoples Day. And then there's like some people that for one reason or another think that it's worth their time to get upset about the fact that it's no longer called Columbus Day, right? Let's get angry. These damn Indians, they want their own day, you know, just sit out there on the reservation and shut up. You know, those guys get their free check every month and they're over here bitching and they want to change American history, take away our heritage, get rid of Columbus Day. Eat a dick, buddy. Eat a dick. I've been on those reservations. They're miserable places. Not to diss any of my native friends. You guys know. You guys know. You, t you take the places that they used to live and then where they live now. You go drive across the Navajo Reservation in northwestern New Mexico, you know, northeastern Arizona. Don't get me wrong. Some of the most beautiful places in the world, like if you love desert landscapes and stuff and canyons and rivers and stuff like that, it's beautiful. But, like, they did not stick these people in the middle of Colorado. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no Indian reservation in, in Estes Park, Colorado, or even, like, Durango or Silverton, you know. Um, they they stuck them out in the in the parts of the country that are damn near inhospitable. You know, it's not a it's not a it's not a pretty place where they've been. They're, they're rife with alcoholism. We spent a lot of time out there. Um, the amount of babies that we would take care of that were suffering from fetal alcohol syndrome was just unbelievable. And people would bring their babies in. We would take care of their babies, and they would have diaper rash. hadn't had a diaper change in two days, and. You know, mom's wasted when she brings a kid up there to, to drop him off for daycare at 8 o'clock in the morning or whatever. <sighs> Man, it's heavy stuff. So people, some people have been, been out of shape about Columbus Day being replaced with Indigenous Peoples Day. So I, I want to look at this a little bit, okay? First of all, um, Columbus didn't discover a damn thing. He did not discover anything. Period. With a T at the end of it. Columbus discovered nothing. And uh, what we can talk about briefly, I don't make it a habit of like memorizing facts. I'll take some brief notes here that I'm following along with. But just for anybody out there who's been out of shape about Columbus Day getting removed, just hold your, hold your horses. Calm down, sweetie pie. Just, just, just hold up. It'll be okay. We're gonna, I'm going to walk you through this. So uh, there's, a, there's a guy named Barry Fell, B-A-R-R-Y-F-E-L-L. -L. He wrote a book called America B.C. It's a, it's a billion times better than Graham Hancock's new book, America Before. I'm sorry. I love Graham Hancock. He's one of my heroes. But uh, honestly, that book's a little underwhelming. Um, you should go buy it because it's, it's decent, you know, but it's, it's just not that compelling. Um, Barry Fell, on the other hand, wrote a book called America B.C., like back in 1978. And, dude, I'll tell you what. There's not a lot of books that when I get my hands on them, I just can't put them down nowadays. Barry Fell's book, America B.C., I, I still, I haven't quite finished it because I'm always reading lots of books. But uh, every time I see it laying around my house, I pick it up and I read I read it if I have a second because it's it's so good. Um, it's so good. But but what, what he talks about, and Barry Fell is... Um, for anybody who cares, extremely well credentialed as a, as a uh, as a scholar, he he works at Harvard. He's I forget what all he does, but he's he's, he's he was at Oxford. He went to Harvard. He's a, and he's still at Harvard in like the the marine biology department or something like that. But he also has a secondary gig 
um, deciphering ancient languages. So like he was he was I think the guy responsible for um, for breaking the um, like the Indus Valley script at Mahenjadaro or something like that or um, reading the text at Mahenjadaro. So he's an extremely accomplished linguist on top of being like a marine biologist uh, and all this other stuff, an anthropologist. He's crazy. So Barry Fell wrote this book called America, uh, America BC. And what he found and, and documents in this book is that Columbus didn't find anything. He, he didn't find anything. He did nothing. Columbus, well, we may not have time because I'm a little bit pressed for time. We may not get into what Columbus really was and what he did and didn't do. But what I can tell you he did not do is he did not discover anything. So the gist of Barry Fell's book, America BC, is that the Druids of Ireland, like the Celts, the Vikings, the Phoenicians of the Mediterranean, the Chinese, uh, just about everybody you can think of around the world, the Egyptians, uh, the Libyans, the Syrians, uh, just about every culture you can think of for thousands of years was hopping back and forth across the Atlantic and the Pacific Ocean. They were just skating back and forth like all the time. Like it wasn't even a big deal, right? This was like, uh, this was your, this was like, you know, nowadays you can go hop on a plane and go from London to Atlanta or, or London to New York or whatever. These, there were, there are infinite amounts of maps. There are so many maps that, that we can't explain that go back to ancient times where people were documenting even islands that are no longer even there. Islands that were there like 10,000 years ago, guys. 10,000 years ago. I don't even know if you understand how old that is, but there are maps. You can go look this one up called the Piri Reese map. Probably half the people in this audience have already heard of this through Graham Hancock and other people, but Piri Reese, P-I-R-I-R-E-I-S. So the Piri Reese map is a really is a is a crazy map because this is a map that was uh that was essentially drawn in like 1519 or something I think by an admiral a Turkish admiral named Piri Reese and he he copied it down from some older maps he because this is what you used to do if you were like a seafaring person like a navigator a mariner or whatever you would go find the oldest maps you could or the best maps you could of of whatever area you were going to or the world whatever. And you would you would redraw them. You'd put them all on top of each other and redraw them, and and then they were those were your source maps, and then you created a new map. So he wrote that he drew this map in 1519, and he wrote all over it. And he it's a it's a beautiful map if you look it up. And um and and he said, yeah, I copied this down from some older source maps. On that map is um Antarctica, as it as it exists under the ice because it's covered in like two mile thick sheets of ice now. And Antarctica has not been visible like that in like 12 to 15,000 years, right? Back when we were supposed to be still running around like the crudes all ooga booga, chilling in the cave, hiding from saber tooths and stuff. There was somebody sailing around the world taking detailed cartographic records of the entire planet, right? My point is, a lot of people were mapping the world, they were sailing the world, and they were breeding around the world, and their languages and their spiritual belief systems were going around the world too. And so when the Catholics got here, when Christopher Columbus got here, what they found was people that looked a lot different than them and, and lived a very different culture than them, but they had a lot of similarities and they had a lot of connections 
they had a lot of similar stories, right? They had a lot of stories of having interacted with um, pale, excuse me, pale, pale skin, uh, bearded, seafaring people hundreds or thousands of years um, previous to this, right? So Columbus shows up and he's like, oh shit, we got a problem, right? For one, the Mayan creation story in the Popol Vuh, which is the, the Mayan creation book, Popol Vuh, P-O-P-U-L-V-U, if you wanted to spell it in English, I'm guessing that's how it would go. It's like the story of Genesis. <laughs> you know, the Mayan creation story is like the Genesis story, but with more detail, you know? And so Columbus shows up, which you ought to look up and look into who Christopher Columbus really was and look into who funded his ships and who funded his voyage, right? The point is, is that there was, there was people from all over the world, the Phoenicians, the Druids, the Celts, the Gales, the Libyans, the, all these people, the Turks, the Egyptians, the Greeks, everybody, the Spaniards, they all had these maps. Columbus got a hold of these maps. And what he was really looking for was... Uh, this lost continent of Atlantis that Plato had talked about or some of these lost tribes or these lost uh, peoples to the West, right? That the, uh, the, the historical records of countless uh, people in Europe had talked about, right? They knew the Indians were there at the point. They knew the Native Americans were there. They knew there was land there or at least whoever funded this thing. Like maybe Columbus didn't exactly know what was going to be there because we know that he didn't even make landfall in America. But they knew that they were going to find something. So, so there is now, in Barry Fell's book, you can read, there is so much clear, I, I call it evidence, I would say proof, but I mean it's, it's, it's um, record, right, of like Egyptian occupation in like Illinois, Phoenician occupation in Michigan, um, you know, Greek occupation in Oklahoma, the amount of record and evidence and statues and inscriptions and paintings and drawings and uh, all this crazy stuff, you can't hardly imagine, uh, it's all over the Americas. It's all over the Americas. And, and the, the records of all this stuff, the stories of all this stuff, even the bloodlines of this stuff existed within the Native Americans. It was held within the Native Americans. And there was a lot of uh, like religious parallels within the Native Americans to other stuff. Again, like this sort of trinary religious thing. Uh, listen to the Manly P. Hall lecture to, to learn more about some of the religious parallels because it's pretty incredible. But I'm going to move on from that. So Columbus came. He saw. He got credit. And uh, he never deserved a holiday. He never deserved a holiday. He, did, he didn't do anything. Period. Right. But whenever Columbus came over, that's when the genocide started. And it was a remarkable targeted effort to destroy everything, every trace of, of the bloodlines and the traditions and the historical records, uh, the, the mystical understanding of the Native Americans. And if you follow the Catholic Church, and if, if you follow this podcast, you know we're not down with the Catholic Church, period, um, because of things like this. The Catholic Church... Listen to our last two podcasts, by the way, <laughs> on uh, Gnosticism and Akhenaten and some other stuff. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll understand. But the Catholic Church is all about being the arbiter between human beings and God, right? 
And if you are a mystic, as again, the Native Americans were, you know that you don't need a middleman. You know that we have the ability to connect to God within each and every one of us. Catholic Church can't, can't, it's bad for business for people to go around with that understanding. So the Catholic Church has spent the last 2,000 years um, uh, murdering and genociding everyone on earth that they come into contact with who is, uh, who is mystical, right? Who has uh, mystical means of connecting to God. So that can be plant medicine and ceremony and drums and dancing and chanting and praying and meditating and fasting. and There's a million ways that these shamanic mystical cultures would push themselves um, beyond the boundary of the three-dimensional world and, and um, uh, step through the veil into the spiritual realm and connect with the angels, with the gods, with the fairies, and be able to, to experience the broader range of this mystical, beautiful, mysterious reality that we live in as humans, right? The Catholic Church has wanted to really be the controller of uh, the, the, you know, the, the spiritual tyrant of, of planet Earth, and they've done a pretty good job of it. So they got here, they saw that there was like all these connections, and they were like, we gotta get rid of this. Like these guys have all the stories about how we all used to be connected, we all used to be chilling. Everybody around the world, there was languages, that were like lingua, what's called a lingua franca, where there's a language that you can use to go between two different cultures who don't speak the same language. So like Swahili is a trader's language in Africa. So Swahili doesn't come from like, it's like not a people's language. It's It's been created to go between different tribes and cultures and stuff. So you had you had these lingua francas, francas um, from around the world, where like Greeks were able to speak to Egyptians and the Celts were able to speak to the Iroquois nations and all this stuff. It's an incredible thing. And the, one of the greatest things that I think resides within the records that we do have of the Native Americans, especially in the context of the conversation like this, is that we, at one time, the entire planet was inhabited by people who didn't give a shit about race. They didn't, they didn't care about, you know, um, all these superficial things. We were bound together by a common mystical understanding that all humans were divine, and that we could connect to divinity just by going within ourselves. And that's really what, and also by connecting with nature. We were all connected with nature, and that's a fundamental part of their understanding. So these are the things that got lost when Columbus came and when the Catholic Church moved in and not only killed probably hundreds of millions of, of, of men, women, and children and destroyed their lineages and their cities and their heritage and historical records and all of that, but really caused a major disruption in the human story, right? We lost information that we, we don't know that we'll ever get back, right? It's a crazy thing. So fuck a Columbus. That's the official stance of Wayfinder Podcast. Um, so moving on, looking at some other things, um, I think it's kind of neat. I, I heard that like William Penn uh, was a, a good friend of the, uh, the natives out in that part of the world, um, up in Pennsylvania and stuff like that. And apparently he went to the, like the king of England and he wanted some money to buy land from the Indians. And like that was his thing. He was like, I want to buy land from them. The king, the king wanted him to buy land from him, like from the king. And he's like, you know, with all due respect, your excellency, it's not really your, your land to sell. It belongs to the natives, dick. So the Indians loved him for that kind of stuff, I guess, which is a neat thing. Um, by the way, this is uh, just to slide this in here a little bit. I would like to throw out a little bit of interesting stuff here. Um, I spent a lot of time up in New England. I've got friends and sort of family up there, people I love very much. And uh, when I go around up there, 
it's clear, dude. There is, uh, there, there is uh, what I would call like Celtic or Druidic or Gaelic or, um, uh, or potentially Viking um, uh, structures all over the place up there, dude. They're everywhere. You can't go anywhere in New England, you know, driving from one place to another. It takes you two hours to drive through like five states, right? We'll fly into Boston and like drive through like Massachusetts and, um, and, um, uh, Rhode Island and Connecticut, you know, you can go all up there, go up through New Hampshire and Vermont. You can do all that stuff just in a couple of hours, upstate New York, but everywhere you go, there are like these little stone houses that are out in the woods and stuff. We'll go hiking up there with our buddy Jeff. And like, there's, there's just like little towns that have like these hundreds and hundreds of years old, like oak trees growing through the middle of these old stone houses and stuff. And they're not colonial. They didn't come from, they're not root sellers from the time of like George Washington and shit. Like these aren't, you know, these are ancient, ancient, massive stone uh, buildings and uh, fences and um, little villages and stuff. out. It looks like something from Lord of the Rings. It's crazy. People have been coming there for thousands, uh, thousands of years. Barry Fell book proves that. But you can see it yourself if you want. It's pretty cool stuff. Um... What's interesting is up in that part of the world, there are linguistic connections between like the Iroquois language and ancient Greek and Egyptian and Celtic. It's another thing that is really fascinating is that the linguistic connections between Greek, Celtic, ancient Egyptian, and then the Iroquois language are crazy. They're all the same language. They're written differently. They're written differently, which is crazy. I, my brain still hasn't processed how that works. But like phonetically, when you say them out loud, they're the same. Like the word for tree is like the same in Iroquois, Celtic, Greek, and ancient Egyptian. <laughs> it's like when you say it out loud, the word for tree is the same. The word for lake is the same. The word for river is the same. The word for mountain is the same. The word for bird is the same. The word for life and death and sun. Like it's crazy. Like some of the most like fundamental words in the whole thing, like the whole language are the same across all these cultures that you would never even think are the same or ever had any connection with each other, right? And this is something that's just not being addressed by anthropologists at all. Um, I find that stuff really, really fascinating. And even like religious stuff, like have you guys ever seen the Hamza hand? Like, you know, the, the hand with the eye in the middle of it? Like that's that's like a like an ancient, like sort of Sanskrit or Hindu or Indian or Egyptian or whatever. Like go to Ohio, go to Ohio, bro. You can find ancient like um, uh, paintings and carvings and all kinds of stuff of that same evil eye in Ohio, and the same stories behind it, like what it represents—the eye of God, they call it—and uh, they have a whole story around it. It's crazy. These people were definitely talking to each other, right? Something else I think is really neat. So I spend a lot of time, used to spend a lot of time making fun of Mormons. Like not in a hateful way. I've never been hateful about Mormons because I'll tell you right now, like they're some of the nicest people I've ever met, but you got to make fun of people sometimes whenever it's all in good fun, right? If you ever seen Book of Mormon, I've seen it twice, once on Broadway, once in Dallas. Hilarious. Great play. Funniest thing I've ever, the funniest experience I think that you can have is to go watch Book of Mormon on um, like the musical. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. Movie, TV show, book, stand-up comedy special, uh, Broadway show, musical, Vegas. It's the funniest thing I have ever seen. The Book of Mormon. Go see it. 
It's written by the uh, creators of South Park. I used to really like to make fun of Mormon people. Uh, archaeologists and scientists and historians and all those guys, they still make fun of Mormon people all the time. Let me tell you something, man. Joseph Smith might have been crazy. He might have been a liar. He might have been a criminal. I don't know, right? Sure. But this dude, I get him. He was living up in New York. He was living up in all these places. He was a, he was a, he was a young, precocious, charismatic guy who a kid and all that who was into history he was he was into reading the bible he was into reading about uh the egyptians and the celts and he was reading all about history and all these different cultures and stuff meanwhile he was making friends with all of the native americans up there which were like i think iroquois people up in that area different different um tribes of the iroquois confederation or federation or whatever they were called so joseph smith like any, you know, perceptive, precocious young man or young person should be able to do in this situation, he began to realize that the stories they were telling were connected. Like the Bible, the Egyptians, the Native Americans of that part of the world. Now, I've never read the Book of Mormon. I've read a lot of excerpts from it. I've read a, a bazillion different um, Mormon archaeology like websites and uh, books and things like that just on the archaeology and what's always struck me as crazy is like how accurate a lot of that Mormon archaeology stuff like it's real like a lot of the evidence that the Book of Mormon archaeologists like the Mormon archaeologists have come up with is has it was always like it you know I've always been into archaeology and stuff and I was made fun of the Mormons, but the, the more I read the Mormon archaeology, the more I was like, "Damn, dude!" I mean, you know, all the the mystical shit sounds like bullshit. You know, there's a lot of a lot, a lot of funny things about the Mormon religion, but the archaeology shows that there were migrations of people. There's there's like evidence of Israelites and of um, all these other people in America. It's crazy. It's real though. It's very real. Very real stuff. So I think that Joseph Smith, I've got to kind of apologize to him. I guess I'll do it on record right here that I, I, I apologize for the Mormon people that I've made fun of about your archaeology because after reading this book by Barry Fell, and really, I mean, the last seven or eight years of, of looking deeper into this stuff, um, 10, 12 years really since Graham Hancock, the more I've realized that like, yeah, the Mormons are really onto something. Archaeologically speaking, they really are. So, all right, there we go. I apologize to the Mormons. What else do we got? Um, oh, yeah, there's religious, there's religious ceremonies with the Native Americans that are very, very similar to, to Egypt and Greece as well. Some very, very interesting stuff. Um, and so, again, with the Natives, some people were bad. So, like, this is sort of a defense that I hear of, like, the people who, who still, like, who feel like white people are under attack around Columbus Day and they feel like the need to go posting shit on their their uh, Instagram stories like man the Native Americans were all sacrificing 70,000 people a month to the war god at Tenochtitlan or whatever look man the Aztecs were fucking evil they were satanic they were they were run by the war god and they were sacrificing tens of thousands of people 
to the war god. Now, the mystic in me is, you know, pretty quick to point out that the Catholic Church was doing it by the millions at the exact same time in the Inquisition. Same time. All the way back to the Crusades. I believe that at that time, this satanic war god, evil demonic spirit had descended on the earth and was was hitting us at different angles. Hitting us on both sides of the Atlantic, if you will. Right? So, I'm not saying that the Aztecs were okay. I'm not saying that human sacrifice is, is, is okay. Or that they weren't doing it. They were. What I'm trying to point out to doofuses who want to lump everybody together because they're ignorant of the fact that these were hundreds or, or thousands of different tribes that all operated very, very differently from each other is that the vast majority of them were not like that. And when you look at the Aztecs and when you explore the Aztec Empire, and I have, right, with my kids for weeks on end, for years in a row, you go look at the uh, the Aztec Empire all the way up into to Utah and to, into Nevada and Arizona and New Mexico and Colorado, all the way down into Mexico. You, you, you hear the stories, you, you see the, the, the outposts and all that stuff, and, and the more you read, the more you understand that these were, these were, these were, um, uh, these guys were on a conquest. They were conquerors. They were, they were um, imperialists. They were colonizers, just like Columbus and the Catholic Church and those people that came over, right? They were colonizers. The Aztecs were no better. They were no better, dude. They were enslaving everybody they came across. They were sacrificing everybody they came across. They were brutally murdering everybody they came across. Understand that. Straight up. But that is a spirit that takes over a culture when it takes over a leader. This, this spirit of conquest, this spirit of greed, this spirit of I don't have enough, I'm not powerful enough, I need to take over everything. That is a spirit. That is an extra-dimensional entity. It is like the spirit of war that we talked about in our last couple of podcasts, right? On Akhenaten and uh, all that stuff, right? These, this demonic, satanic, Aries sort of spirit inhabits the, the mind, body, and spirit complex of a leader, in this case, Moctezuma of the Aztecs, and then he decides he can be... Uh, he can be the embodiment of the war god here on earth, and he can conquer the whole earth and be the ruler of the earth, and he'll do it through blood and warfare and conquest. That is what Moctezuma did. Countless tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people were killed as a result, and his empire grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And guess what? That is what the Pope does. That is what the Pope is. The Pope is the embodiment of Satan on this planet, has been for 2,000 years. He is the vicar of the devil himself, and all of this conquest and ethnic cleansing and genocide and spiritual genocide, I don't even know if there's a word for that, spiricide, <laughs> is, is meant to wipe out every spark of, of, of divinity that it can, to wipe out all of, uh, all of that awesome stuff, right? All of our ability to connect, all of these mystical understandings and this mystical wisdom. And, and then from that, comes this hyper-materialistic society that we have where we just trample on nature and we trample on the trees and we cut down the Amazon rainforest and we dynamite through our mountains and no respect for the earth whatsoever. That's what you get 
when you get this sort of this evil demonic devilish war god aries satanic whatever you want to call it right you know what i mean this this greedy power hungry violent spirit takes over a leader and that is where they direct their energies that's what happens so the aztecs were doing it i get it but if you look at all the other native americans all the other tribes None of them were doing that. <laughs> None of them were doing that. The Apaches and the Comanches and some of the other Plains Indians did fight each other. But there were always rules of engagement. Medicine priests never got hurt. Women and children were not the targets. There were war parties and war chiefs that went out and fought each other over territory and often over, um, really it was over water more than anything else. Right? Um, but the idea that, uh, that, that, the 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 genocide that took place by um, that was directly a result of 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 the Catholic Church um, and its powers in Europe at the time its financial powers the genocide that took place on their behalf cannot be compared by any honest person or any intelligent knowledgeable person to the kinds of warfare that was taking place over here aside from the Aztecs because I would argue it's the exact same demonic spirit the same satanic spirit that was driving the Catholics then and today, um, the imperialism of that uh, that was driving the Aztecs. Sure, same thing. Bad people. But let's talk about the fucking Iroquois Federation for a second, right? Because the Iroquois get no credit for this anywhere. The Iroquois democracy at the time of ancient Greece was probably... I mean, I don't know, a lot more advanced, I guess. We like to think of like Greece as being like the the patriarchs or the the founding people, the inventors of democracy. That's such horseshit. That, that's that's that, that's some serious whitewash bullshit. It really is. And I'm not one of these like people. I don't talk about white privilege a lot and whitewashing and this and that. But like, there are some things in history that got kind of got kind of whitewashed. Um, and this is one of those things that got lost in the whitewashing of history was the fact that. The, the Iroquois nations all had this sort of system of government where they had a Senate, right? We think about, like, think about Greece. We had Plato and Pythagoras and Solon and all these guys in this big Greek forum, like picture a big amphitheater and a bunch of dudes in togas and beards standing around talking about the future of democracy and all this kind of stuff, right? Columns and pillars everywhere and a big fucking golden eagle on top of a pillar and some dude down in the middle of the amphitheater, and a white toga with some big quill pen and a parchment or some shit. You know what I mean? Just paint that image in your head, okay? The Iroquois people, the Iroquois Federation up in the New England area, Atlantic Seaboard type area, Pennsylvania, all that, had, I think, a more advanced democracy, which you can go read about. But one of the cool things that I think about it was... Uh, only the women could vote. Only the women could vote. That was kind of a neat thing. Only men could serve, but only the women could vote. Think about that. Process that. Think about that in a minute. Uh, also, if you were a senator from one of the tribes voting on a, a proposition of some kind, you could not vote on any proposition that had anything to do with your tribe because they didn't want there to be any conflict of interest. Right? simple, obvious little things like that, little features that were built into their democracy to 
prevent the kinds of corruption that are like the pillars of our democracy, right? The balance of the masculine and feminine. The balance of the masculine and feminine. Only women could vote. The men could serve, right? Think of that what you will. But only the women could vote. Probably some good reasons behind that. And there was a lot more coolness and complexity and all that to their democracy. But to, uh, to scholars who are familiar with, with um, the model of Greek democracy versus the Iroquois democracy, uh, my understanding is it's pretty, well, it's pretty well agreed universally that uh, the Iroquois people had, a, had the most advanced model of democracy that we've seen anywhere. You never heard about that before. That's crazy. So my point in saying all this is that we have very different people. Very different people, different tribes, different, different systems of government, different religions, but a lot of similarities, a lot of connections. I wanted to bring one thing up, like this kind of stuff. I love this kind of stuff. Um, you know, there's a, there's a, um, a belief of uh, telling the bees, right? So a lot of the Native Americans, they would speak to bees and they would speak to birds. They would tell them good news and the birds and the bees would go out and, and pollinate things the birds would go do their thing and they would carry twigs around and they would lay eggs and and the native american people believed that by speaking good news and by speaking meaningful things to the birds and, and particularly the bees they were passing good news all around nature right so just imagine a culture you might think that sounds really silly but just imagine a culture built around these kinds of connections and these kinds of understandings. It's not about whether or not that one bee understood what Sitting Bull told to him on top of the mountain, right? It's about the fact that you have a culture of people who believe in these kinds of things and believe that, that passing positive information between a human and uh, animals of nature is, is, a, is a central part of life. It's a thing that you should do, right? It's a very different kind of relationship that that person's going to have with animals and with nature than what we do, right? Our kids sit around and throw, I was just watching the other day, a fucking kid sitting there like throwing rocks at a bird on the side of the road, just laughing and throwing rocks. Like, oh, maybe I'll hit a bird and bash its head in. Like, it's a whole different thing. Whole different thing. All right, so I'm going to start to wrap this up a little bit. Um, just because I'm on a bit of a time crunch. I want to go eat some food. So, uh, oh, I wanted to point out one other thing. Another two interesting things real quick about, um, for one, uh, the mysticism. I was talking about the trinary religions and the mysticism and all that. And uh, there's also this understanding of the phoenix and the serpent, which is very interesting. You have the feathered serpent in a lot of different cultures. The phoenix representing the crown chakra. The serpent representing the kundalini energy from the root chakra up. You find the um, the worship of the serpent and uh, the symbolism of the serpent and the worship and symbolism of the thunderbird, which is identical to the Phoenician phoenix and the phoenix of Greece and, and Egypt and all that. Um, this is just more religious connection to, uh, I don't know what you call it. What is that, the Western world? Old world? Yeah, old world. Old world stuff. It gets confusing for me to talk like that sometimes because like it's all old. <laughs> the whole thing's old, man. None of it's what we think it is. But the worship of the phoenix and the serpent. Right? This is the kundalini. 
This is the kundalini energy, the serpent that rises up from the pelvis, stays coiled in the pelvis as our dormant sexual energy. It becomes stirred up when the root chakra becomes activated as we channel energy from the earth upward. It flows up our chakra system, up the magic wand that is the spine. And it, and it swirls around our spine, uh, the male and female double helix energy of the kundalini swirls around the spine all the way up the neck all the way up to the back of the top of the head and bursts out the top out the crown chakra and that's when you have the phoenix that's when you have the the flaming bird the winged flaming bird of power right that comes out the top of the of the kundalini at the top of the spine it's where we get the image of the caduceus from medicine and all that stuff so this is this is uh this is deep deep human wisdom this is deep cosmic shit right that you find all over the world the serpent uh and the and the phoenix or the winged serpent right you find that down in mexico at like tenochtitlan and teotihuacan and other places you find it in china you find it in india you find it in egypt you know you find it in greece you find it in babylon the winged serpent you find it in virtually all of the native americans all over the country at least I don't know if every single tribe had it figured out, but all over the country for sure. Now, I would say you can you could take somebody, any human being, um, and you get them into a good mystical situation, whether it's like with some mushrooms or peyote, or just like a nice deep cleansing, mindful meditation, and they can tap into that kundalini energy. And you can come up, you can come out of a mushroom trip or out of a deep meditation and have discovered that kundalini and the and the um, the phoenix serpent or whatever. You can discover that on your own. It's inside of us. It's inside of us. So anyone says that, you know, I heard this comedian named Ricky Gervais. He said, you know, the reason why religion sucks or why religion's not real and science is real is because if all the religious books got burned today and all the science books got burned today, in a thousand years, you'd have those science books again. You wouldn't have the religious books again. Well, and that just shows the ignorance. Like people just don't understand. They don't know anything about hermeticism or the Tao or you know, tribal wisdom or the Kundalini because the Kundalini has popped up, manifest itself all over the world in, in, in every culture, right? And you can tap into that and find it and have that imagery of flash into your mind without, uh, without having ever seen it or heard it anywhere else. So that doesn't, that doesn't hold true, but by that same standard, uh, it's, it's proof that the, uh, the Kundalini is what it is. It's, it's a deep embedded, very real, uh, energy and imagery that exists within the human being, within every human being. I assume all of us, but I mean, certainly, I think everybody, just about everybody. So that's a huge connection. Next was the Olympic gods. So I was thinking about like Mount Olympus. You have the mountain and you have Zeus and you have all these other gods. One of the things I found when I was digging through all like this Native American stuff is that basically all these Native Americans of the Southwest all have like a mountain somewhere near their reservation, somewhere near their home or whatever. And their their religious beliefs were like essentially, they all believe in Olympus. They all believe in, in Olympus. They had like a Zeus thunder god and they had a whole hierarchy of gods underneath them and they all resided on top of the mountain. It's so, it's so great, man. It's so Mount Olympus. It's crazy. It really, really is. Um... All right, what else? Okay, so last thing, and then I'm going to wrap it up. So 
I thought this was really interesting. I've mentioned this before in the podcast is that like there's a tribe called the Abenaki, <laughs> the Abenaki. They're part of the Ojibwe um, group of peoples up in like uh, New England or whatever, uh, all the way up into like Newfoundland, Canada area, Atlantic seaboard. But they're called the Abenaki. And they have a story about their creation, about why they're called the Abenaki. And they say that there were these like light-skinned glowing beings that came down from the sky from the east. And these glowing beings were very advanced. They taught them how to farm. They taught them science. But most of all, they taught them this secret religion. This, uh, they call it the Maidaway or something. Midwin, Midaway, Maidaway. I've got a book on it. Anyway, it's really hard to find eBay. Uh, but it's it's essentially it is like the la- it's it's the religion of Freemasonry. It's the it's the religion of of deep universal truth. And again, it it, it uh, has to do with the number three. You have like the the there's like three rooms in their holy temple, and there's like three windows in the wall, and three doors, and this and that. And it's like you think of the sacrament of the Last Supper, the painting by a uh, Da Vinci of Jesus, right? The uh, I'm looking at it right now. In the studio, you've got like these three windows behind Jesus. Look at the base of the pyramids in Egypt. You have like these three doors. You look at the base of the pyramids in Mexico. You have like these three doorways. There's some kind of ancient religious ritual or ancient religious system that existed in ancient times where they had something figured out that we don't have figured out anymore that we've lost and it has to do with these three freaking doors. And that's why all these religions have this understanding of the three. Like the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Or the um, Horus and Isis and uh, uh, Osiris. Or Shiva and uh, and Shakti. And um, who's the other one? I can't remember. Anyway. Is it Brahma, Shiva, and Shakti? <sighs> so the Abenaki named themselves after these people. I can't help but think about how much that story parallels the story of the Anunnaki. So you've got the Abenaki people, and then you have like the Anunnaki from the Sumerian legend that all all the ancient aliens people are always talking about, the Anunnaki. And these people are called the Abenaki. And what they're describing is literally like the Anunnaki story. I always make fun of the ancient aliens people too, man. But like that one, that one, that one's crazy. I had my buddy Nevin Parr. He's an author. He he's big into the ancient alien stuff. He was on on the show talking about that, um, the Anunnaki and stuff. And I was like, dude, you're full of shit. But here's this story about the Abenaki, <laughs> these Native Americans from New England, and what their whole creation story is, and all this stuff is kind of crazy. Look, man, here's where I'm getting at with all of this stuff. Columbus Day shouldn't have been a thing. He didn't discover anything. End of story. Let's move on. Should we have an Indigenous Peoples Day? I don't think so. I think that we should we should really reevaluate the place that our ancestors stuck the Indigenous people in in the first place. Right? I think it would be kind of cool to take these people out. I mean, a lot of people are talking about reparations for all kinds of people. We're talking about indigenous people man have been they're not even part of our society guys go drive around the southwest they're not doing okay go through Oklahoma go to the reservations go go into a casino in Oklahoma and just see 
see what the poverty, the alcoholism, see what the the look on a lot of their faces. And I'm, again, I'm not, I'm not putting, I'm not putting them down, and they're not all like this. But there's, there is such damage that has been done to 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 these indigenous people. It's crazy. It's crazy. You wouldn't believe it. The dehumanization. These people were like so connected to nature and so so free and so open. They were like the freest, most connected people in the world. And we took them and we stripped them of it. Not we, but some really bad people in the past. Took them, stripped them of everything, and shipped them off to some of the most desolate places in the world. And they're still there. Now, I'm not telling any white person you should feel guilty about this because I fucking don't, and I don't believe in that, period. If that bothers you, sorry, but not really sorry. I don't feel guilty for it. I didn't do it. But I do think that if we want to really help people, we should try to help people, right? If we can do something, we should. And then some of that might just be raising awareness. I don't even know how you would tackle a problem like that. But having an Indigenous Peoples Day to me is a little bit of a slap in the face. I think we need to do something better, right? We had slaves for a long time. They went through a horrible, the worst things you could think of. And they got freed. And then things still weren't perfect, so we did better. And they still weren't perfect, so they did better. And we're always trying to do better. But like, you know, black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, you know, all these different people, they're part of society. They go to school with us. They speak the language. They they have the same opportunities. It's it's all good. If you spend any time on these reservations, or you spend time driving through the desert, like interacting with these people, seeing how their lives are run, it ain't the same, dude. It's not the same. No one, no one, no one knows what it's like to grow up indigenous. I don't care what color you are, and I don't care who who that makes angry. You don't know what it's like to grow up indigenous. It's a whole different way of life, man. It's a different planet that they're on. It's a different reality they're in. We got to do better. That's where I'm at with it, right? Um, could we benefit from understanding more about the positive things, the virtues of our native cousins? Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You know, you could sit here and bicker, uh, you know, and argue about, well, Native Americans weren't perfect either. They, they did this. and they did, oh Man, fuck off. Come on. Right? If you look at the bigger picture and you look at the virtues of, of Native American life, particularly the non-Aztec ones, right? Because, like, all these haters always got to go straight to the Aztecs and stuff like that. Start talking about human sacrifice. It's like 1% of the tribes of America did that. It's like 5% did slavery, you know, over their enemies. The rest of them were, like... The pilgrims, my ancestors, I had some ancestors that were pilgrims. They rolled up at Plymouth Rock. Immediately all the Iroquois people show up and start teaching them how to farm and feed them when they're starving to death. Come on, man. Come on. We got to do better. We have a lot to learn. Mysticism, guys. Mysticism. We got to reconnect to nature. We got to reconnect with the spirit world. We got to realize that there's a reason why the Catholic Church is so huge. The reason why they spread like cancer is because they're violent at the top. They're satanic at the top. They're, they're conquerors and conquesters at the top. Again, if you're listening to this, you're probably okay with me saying that kind of stuff. But if you're not, just listen to more of these podcasts. Listen to the last couple of them, man. It's not really my opinion. This is like an observation of history. 
we got to do better, right? We need to get back to our mystical roots, our tribal roots, right? We can we can operate a lot better in a situation where we've got like, you know, 20 to 50 to 200 people sharing spiritual beliefs, sharing values, sharing a culture, being bound together by a, a common natural way of approaching things in life, right? Build our lives around a, a sensible, natural, spiritual system. We can find happy and happiness and balance and harmony with nature, with ourselves, with each other, with the rest of the world. We're not meant to live in these giant cities. Right? We're certainly not, to, not meant to live in a giant city surrounded by people with totally different beliefs, living in completely artificial housing, doing artificial things, creating more artificial things, longing for artificial things. This is why we're sick. We're sick, we're stupid, we're stagnant. We can do better, we gotta do better. It's a different way of doing things. The election's coming up, November 3rd, right? It's October 14th right now, 2020. The relevance of all of this to this message just occurred to me in this moment. We gotta do better. November 3rd, people are about to go out and vote or they're already early voting. And they're voting on the dumbest fucking election I have ever seen in my goddamn life. Donald Trump and Joe, I can't remember what fucking planet I'm on, Biden, who, I just saw a video this morning, I just, just every day. I didn't think that anybody would ever give me more material than Donald Trump to just shake my head at. This Joe Biden thing, this phenomenon that is Joe Biden, I don't, I don't know what kind of a joke is being played, but it, at this point, it's pretty clear that the, the powers that be are just laughing at us because they know that they're gonna, these idiots are going to keep voting, right? If you're watching a video of Joe Biden and he's like, my name is Jill Biden and I'm running for Senate, and what side of this, where am I going? Like, dude, this guy doesn't, he doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what state he's in. He just said he was in like Ohio. He was in Pennsylvania or some shit. And he just said he was running for Senate. Guys, he doesn't know any, this, this is, you can't vote for him. If he gets one vote, then that person that voted for him needs to be thrown out of the country. I don't want to be in a tribe with that person. And Donald Trump is the worst. He's just the worst human. He's just, he's a, he's a terrible person. He is an empty, hollow shell stuffed full of ego and fucking cheeseburgers and Adderall, right? We got to do better. And a, a spiritually, a truly spiritually grounded people would not accept this kind of a, of, a, of a choice. They would not. People who are balanced in their mind, their body, and their spirit would not accept an absolute non-choice like this. The choice that we are being given as voters is, is a slap in the face. And if nothing else, it should be the greatest evidence we've ever had that this whole system is broken and it's gotta be on the verge of, of implosion, right? So when we look back as, as creatures of imitation, if you don't know better, you can't do better. We need to look at other systems. And what I'm talking about is a tribal system. Let's all get the hell out of these cities. Let's get out of this, this rat race and this crazy stuff. Let's get out of this, 
this situation where we're just we're just smearing cortisol all over each other every day and just stressing all over each other and just projecting all of our stress and anger and frustration at each other because that's all we have. Because we're all so far from where we know we should be and could be. And that's all we do. We just stress. We run around in circles and we blast off at each other. We can do better. We got to do better. I appreciate you guys so much. I'm excited to see where things go. And I'm excited to see the return of a lot of this tribal wisdom coming out because I think it's going to make a difference. I think that I'm seeing a lot of this. I'm seeing a return of mysticism. I'm seeing a return of naturalism, of omnism, of the understanding that uh, tribal people have had stuff figured out for a while. Hermeticists have had stuff figured out for a while, right? The Hindus got some stuff figured out. The Buddhists got some stuff figured out, right? This Western culture nonsense, man. We got to do better. And I'm really excited to say that I honestly believe we are starting to. So on that note, I'm going to bounce. I love you guys. It's good to talk with you. Um, we'll catch up soon. I got more, more of this on the way. I love you all. May the light be upon you. May peace be within you. May be a sun on the paths of all men. Make sure you like, share, subscribe. Pass this stuff all around to your friends, to your family, all that stuff. I really appreciate it. And you can find the podcast on wayfinderpodcast.com uh, on all the different platforms uh, Spotify again we're not doing YouTube as much but you know the rest of it Google Play iTunes whatever peace out